Yeah, these events that have stuck around over our tenure, we, we kept them around because we believe in them. And Youth Convention is still going on now. It goes on in the spring, and we want to continue, we want to encourage the church to continue to participate with that because there is something special about getting away from the normal day-to-day -day activities and saying, Lord, I'm going to give you this weekend, and I want to get closer to you. And God shows up. He does. And so, you know, we, we got there in October. Well, Halloween's in October. And at the time, Crossroads was, we, we did the, the f, -f, -f is what we, we called it, but it was the FFF, the Fall Family Festival. And Pastor Lori, our children's pastor at the time, was always very clear that it was a family festival that happened in the fall. It was the Fall Family Festival. And we got to be a part of that, and it was so much fun to get games organized and get, I mean, we just jumped right in, getting people signed up to do games at that, and Pastor Lear was so happy because it was always a challenge getting more games at, uh, at Crossroads uh, at that Fall Family Festival. And 2011, I mean, we just jumped in. It was really our establishing years at Crossroads, kind of 2011 to 2013, because we launched so many things at Crossroads that endured throughout our tenure in ministry. And another one of the things we launched that year was New Year's Eve Eve. Amanda, tell us a little bit about New Year's Eve Eve. New Year's Eve Eve was always, um, has always been so fun to us. Um, you know, if you know anything about youth ministry, you have to have all-nighters, but they're terrible. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you have to stay up for a, a really long time um, all night, and then if the teenagers get bored, we're in trouble. So we had such a blast putting on New Year's Eve Eves where you went from, from bowling to the trampoline park to, um, oh, man. That year we went to Mulligan's. We, yeah, Mulligan's. Yeah. Uh, walked through the drive through at McDonald's at midnight, you know, things like that. We did that. And um, it, was, it was an event that endured all these years, and one thing we loved about it was that it was cheap. It was $30 the first year and then went up to 35 and stayed that way for like eight years, which is great that we could do that. But I'll tell you, uh, one of our most special memories of this whole time happened at New Year's Eve Eve. And I'll tell you right now, if you were a student at this New Year's Eve Eve, you already know the one I'm going to talk about because it was monumental in your life the year it snowed in Temecula. It had not yeah. snowed for 19 years. And part of our New Year's Eve Eve um, schedule every year was doing things outdoors in the middle of the night. You know, 4 a.m., we were out at Harveston Park or something. And at this particular year, we started watching the weather, and it was getting colder and wetter as the, as the night went on. And we were, I mean, by, by that day, by, by uh, December 30th, Adam and I were like, this is about to be the worst New Year's Eve Eve of all time. What are we going to do with these teenagers? Our building here was being built, and almost the whole building was off limits. We couldn't go anywhere because there was exposed studs all over the building. Metal and studs. They could cut you and somebody yeah. get hurt, yeah. and so and that's why. Yeah, and so um, we were confined to a small space, and we were like, we have to have outdoors. But then it happened about just before midnight, like yeah. 11.53 or something. We were at the bowling alley, and we were coming out, and but there – yeah like a present from heaven falling from the sky. <laughs> it started snowing. The snowflakes. And it, w it became the greatest, it, one of the greatest memories of all time because w we, we never had, it was never snow. In the whole, the students' whole lives, they've never seen snow here in Temecula. And so here it, it snowed all night. I mean, it gathered and we had snowball fights. Everybody was wet and cold and angry by the time that morning came. But it was such a great time and a great memory. And we just count it still a gift from God because we could not plan to have snow on our New Year's Eve event. 
it's impossible. So anyway, that was such a great memory for all of us. It, it's been a great event. And, and, you know, another thing that has been just very important to us uh, as we established in those early years was missions. And we believe in missions. We believe in short-term missions trips. Uh, I believe that if you take somebody and they get to experience working the gospel in another country, then they catch a grasp of what it's about to see the Great Commission work throughout the world. And at the very least, our goal, our hope, is that people become missions givers. So if they're not called to the mission field, then they can fund those who are called to the mission field. And so one of the first things we did is planned a missions trip uh, shortly after we arrived, and, and that happened in summer of 2012. And one of the great things we got to do is institute both junior high and high school missions trips. And so, Amanda, you want to talk about some of the missions, great missions trip experiences we've had over the years? Man, we've had so many great mission trip experiences. We, we love taking students, you know, like we said, out of their comfort zone. And, and it, it, it's just a, it's fun together to be together. We went to um, Bishop the first couple of years that we were here. We, our church used to have a uh, campus in Bishop, California. Beautiful place. And we did a lot of great stuff up there. We did missions trips. We did winter camps up there. Yeah. So many great memories. And, and that church is no longer a part of Crossroads, but they are doing fantastic. And they are thriving. And we love love that we got to be a part of of that and so um our, our junior high missions trips there um up in bishop were um, some of my favorite times at events um over the years we did uh high school missions trips to guatemala to romania twice we did puerto rico haiti um mexico so many different places and in types of environments and and they were great but i want to highlight one um and if you've been here for quite a while you might have heard me tell this story because it is one of my favorite stories of all time um but it's such a great picture of um of god's grace and all kinds of things so we went to guatemala one year we had um, a, a smaller group of students and and we did all kinds of ministry while we were up there. But um, toward the middle of the week, the team that was leading the mission trip that we connected with, they came to us and said, hey, so on Friday night, we are um, we're going to be killing a pig. And then Saturday, we're going to be feeding the whole community. And, um, and they asked us, do you want to be a part yeah. of the slaughter of the pig? Yeah. Yeah. And at first we were like, oh, man, I don't know. You know, we were new to we were new to Temecula at that time. And we were like, I don't know, these California kids, I'm not sure. So we, gra we gathered them together and said, what do you guys think? And only one student was like, I don't know if I want to be there. All the other ones were like, yeah, we want to be a part of it. And so Some um, got strangely excited about the process. <laughs> yeah, which kind of bothered us. It was fine. So, um, so we, you know, the, we, we let the, the one student that was nervous about it kind of walk through it. And, and originally we were going to, she and I were going to go somewhere else. But then she was like, no, 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 I have to see, I have to be a part. So we arrived that Friday night and we pull up and there's like a 300 pound pig there um, that's tied to a stake. And immediately the girls go over and start petting the pig. And they named it. And I was like, no, no, yep. no, we're already in trouble. Big mistake. We can't name the food. You know, we're, we're going, we're about to kill this pig. And so, um, I, I won't go into all the details because it, it's kind of a long and dramatic story. But yeah. basically, um, one of our students, um, we were allowing him to do the honor of killing the pig. And somewhere in there, um, in the middle of the, the pig slaughter, the pig woke up and was squealing. And then, and then we were able to put the pig down. But it was intense, okay? It was not intense. ideal. All right, and we're all standing there. I mean, I remember standing there with my mouth open like, wow, this all just happened. And 
Um, and then one of the uh, ministry leaders that we were connecting with, she came over and she goes, hey, one of your students is throwing up. And so um, <laughs> we go over and I look over, a couple of girls are holding each other and I go over to one of the students that's, that's throwing up and passing out behind the van. And I literally, literally that night, we thought we were going to lose our jobs. Yeah, I we mean. We thought this was the greatest mistake of all time. We should never have done this. Um, fortunately, by the end of the night, everybody I- except the one girl, everybody else was having a great time. And they, they were a part of the process of processing the pig, which was really special for them. I know it sounds weird, but it, it ended up being really neat. And the one girl was able to pull it together after she put her legs up in the van for a while. So that was good. Um, but so that night, we were like, oh, man. And this is, I mean, the students were just, you know, wow, this is crazy. So the next day, we go, and we're, we're supposed to feed the community. And so um, we had a, a line that we were serving food on. And, I mean, a 300-pound pig is going to feed a lot of people. And so that was exciting. And um, But word got out that you know, we're giving out free food. And so a lot of people came. So a lot of people came. And yeah. then during, uh, during it, one of the missionaries t- to that area, um, he said, um, Adam, go in your van and get the family with the blind son that we ministered to this week. And so Adam jumps in the van and he goes across town to get this family and um, bring them back. Well, he, I mean, they came, but then the whole family came. Like 20 people got in the van. Well, by the time they arrived, we had no food left. I mean, we literally, they were pulling up in the van, and we looked down and realized um, we had, like, two pieces of pork, and we'd run out of tortillas. We had a handful of potatoes. Almost nothing was left. And we, we turned around to the missionary, and he goes, you got to feed these people. Figure it out. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And so we turned around to yeah. the students, and I said, let's pray right now. Let's pray. And so we grabbed hands, and we prayed, and we said, Lord, give us wisdom, expand this food, do something for us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. And as soon as we said amen, a woman pulled up in a car with tortillas, tons of fresh tortillas she had just cooked. And she hands it to us, and we're like, awesome. And I said, okay, uh, McKenna, uh, just try to make the pork go as far as it can. She's passing out the pork. Okay, so she pulls it into pieces. And we just keep making plates and keep making plates and keep making plates and keep making plates until all 20 of those family members had food. And then... More people from the community show up. We fed them. We are like, we still have food. Everybody's kind of looking at each other, and we're like, nobody wants to say anything. But we're kind of looking, and we're like, okay, does anybody want seconds? People came for seconds. People came for thirds. And then it was all over. Everybody had been fed as much as they wanted. And we looked down, and we have two pieces of pork, a handful of potatoes, and a few tortillas left. It was an actual, legitimate miracle that we got to experience with those students. And it was, it was just, it was absolutely amazing. Every one of those students that were on this trip, they'll tell you to this day, it changed their lives. I guarantee you, I mean, the people didn't know. They didn't know we were running out of food. They didn't know this was happening. But for us, for the missionaries' family that were a part of it, it was a life-changing day that we got to be a part of that. And so I wanted to share that story because it's a, it's a great example of, you know, we went from, oh, man, we're, we're not even going to come back to you, Pastor Temecula, anymore because this all happened terribly. But... What ended up happening was this was the first story the students wanted to share when they got home, was how God multiplied food in their hands. And then they went to tell about the pig slaughter, and there was blood everywhere, and yada, yada, yada. So, I love that. And it, that was one of the conversations we had with those students is, wh- what's the first story you're going to tell your parents? Not the pig story. You're going to pick something else, okay? And so we had a lot of great uh, uh, times in, in missions and a lot of great ministry, and just a couple more highlights I love is um, in, we went to Romania twice, and it was in our first 
trip to Romania, a man and I both had the privilege of going, and we gathered the team together that night, uh, one night, to have dinner and told them that we were expanding our family. And that was, they were the first people that were privileged to know outside of our immediate family that uh, that was happening. And then three years later, we go back, and Amanda's home with, with Amos, and I pull the team together, and we have dinner that night, and I tell them, hey, we're expanding our family. <laughs> and in Romania again, uh, we got to tell them that. It was, it was kind of special. So, it was, I mean, it was a little disappointing I didn't get to go back to Romania and tell them about Abel, but that's okay, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, a highlight with our junior hires, uh, you need find Sam Kisler or Ethan Johnson when they are around sometime coming back from college and ask them about the double porter potty, okay? That's what you need, the double outhouse. Ask them about the double outhouse, and you'll get a great story, okay? Well, you know, coming out of, uh, you know, the, the establishing years, you know, 2014 to 2017, it, we, we kind of call it our birthing years because that's, that's when we expanded our family. It's when we built out a lot of the facility here at the church. We you started things like Veritas, Master's Commission, and uh, we had to kind of figure out what ministry plus kids looked like. And so, Amanda, just tell us a little bit about that season and maybe a little bit about Veritas. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Veritas is... Um was such a special time for us. It's ministry school for young adults. And um, man, there was so much ministry and teaching and prayer times and craziness that happened during that season. And it was, it was such a, um, it was a fun time and a, and a crazy time for me personally. But it was, um, those, those young adults that went through Veritas, they are still such special people to me. Every, every one of them to us. They're, they're people that we want in our lives for the rest of our lives. And, and um, we went to Dominican Republic together. We went to Mexico a couple of times together. We had so many, I mean, uh, we rode in a van from here to, um, to Alabama, um, to Louisiana, to Tennessee, uh, to Texas, to Missouri, and we did ministry in those places. Um, there was one time that we, we drove all the way across the country and back, and when we got back to Temecula, we were five miles away from being 5,000-mile loop, so we drove around town for five more miles so that we could say that we completed that loop. Um, but so much, so many special times of ministry and getting to see people touched and changed and called to ministry and all of those things during those during those years. So it was um, it was special times. Yeah. I mean, what we've always said about Master's Commission is if you give the Lord a year of your life, you say, Lord, I want you to move in me. I want you to change me. I want you to make me more like you. And you set time aside, he does it. He's faithful. And so whether that's Master's, whether that's an internship, whether that's missions, if you give God, you say, God, this time is dedicated for you. He honors that. And that was a really, it was a really special season. Um, it was a lot. We, we took on a lot during that season. Uh, but then, you know, we came out of that season into 2017 to kind of the present in the era of ministry I call keeping up with the Joneses. <laughs> and we got to see Pastor Gary and Marcy come to Crossroads, and um, we, we decided to, to put an end to Veritas and step down from that ministry. And, and, and Team Sullivan was reborn for ministry. I think we kind of got our legs under us of what ministry plus kids looks like. Um, but then we, we experienced some challenges during that season too. I mean, um, one, of the, one of the things we experienced was the loss of our dear friend Wayne Kisler. And, uh, and that, 
was a that was something was we, all, we all experienced together as a church. It was hard. Everybody loves Wayne. If, if you knew Wayne, you you loved him. He just had a special heart for ministry, and just even within that season, we as a family experienced even more challenge when we received word that uh, you were being diagnosed with cancer. And so, Amanda, don't you, you know? Don't preach a message. I know that could take a long time to really unpack, but just tell us a little bit about that season and, and what we went through as a family. Yeah, I mean, I could spend three hours talking about this and all the things that the Lord did in me and um, in, in in our family, and that He taught me and how He grew me. Uh, but we don't have that kind of time. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that. Um, you know, it it was September, October, I guess, that I was officially diagnosed with. Um, Hodgkin's lymphoma, and then we found out in November that I had stage four cancer, and you know, with that comes so much uncertainty and so much um, just, I, I mean, un uncertainty, uh, you know, it, everything of what things are going to look like long term, what things are going to look like next week, you know, and so um, as we walked through those things, the Lord was so faithful to give me a, a word. I, I prayed and I asked the Lord early on. I said, Lord, just give me give me um, a scripture or give me a word to hold on to, and I will do it. And I, I will trust Wh whatever that is. I will hold on to that. And the Lord, um, he spoke a word to me early on, a scripture. And throughout that, I knew that the Lord was, he was going to get me through it, but I knew it was going to be a difficult season. And so we walked it out. But what I want to highlight is, Something special that happened was, um, you know, for the last several years, we've done a, um, a service <clears throat> the last Sunday of um, the year. We have done a service where we pray for healing. We pray for miracles. We pray for God to touch people. And um, that year, 2017, um, was, it was on um, New Year's Eve. And um, on New Year's Eve, we came together as a church in one service. And I had such a difficult time on that Sunday because um, I was, I had just had treatment on that Thursday and I was sick and I was tired and I was really fuzzy. I felt like I couldn't quite get a grasp on things. And I remember I was sitting all the way in the back at the table and I was so mad because at the front, all the leadership was praying for people um, to be healed and be touched. And I was like, man, God, I want to be in the front. I want to be praying for people. I want to be a part of the ministry team. And here I am sitting all the way, literally, against the back wall. And I feel terrible, and I was so frustrated. But the Lord spoke to me on that day. He said, you know, like, um, like someone who, an archer who's holding a bow and arrow, um, in order for the arrow to go its farthest, it first has to be pulled all the way back. And I realized, okay, this is my time to be pulled back. And it was for the next six months. But on that day, at the end of service, pastor um, asked me to come up and, um, and Adam and, and the congregation here, you, our family and our friends, um, gathered around and prayed for me. And on that day, I remember standing up here and the bright lights and people praying, and I was so out of it. I mean, I was just, I was on, you know, several medications just not to be nauseous. And, um, and I remember looking around and thinking, this is so strange because it was almost out of body. And I didn't, I didn't feel the Holy Spirit. I didn't feel like, oh, something's happening right now. There was, there was just no feel. I had no feeling. I was numb. But at the same time, I stood there and I looked around and I was like, Lord, these people are praying for me. And I know that your prayers don't return void. And that's the truth. So no matter what I feel, the truth is today you are doing something in my body. You are changing something. And I walked out of that. I walked out of this auditorium with that day and I said, okay, today something changed. And um, after that, slowly I started to feel better 
started to feel better. I started to find windows of, uh, between my treatments where I was like, okay, okay, I'm starting to feel. I didn't realize how bad I was feeling, you know, that kind of thing. And um, in February, um, they did PET scans again. And my doctor put the PET scans up against each other. And she said, I want you to look at these two scans. And um, the first one was lit up like a Christmas tree. I mean, it was just there was the it cancer. Was, the cancer was, it was lit it up. It was everywhere in my body. And the second one, there was n there, you could see my organs. It was completely clear. And she said, I am ready today to say that you are at least 95% free of cancer. And I w and she said maybe even completely free of cancer, but I'm not I'm not ready to say that because I see some tissue that might be scar tissue and it might still be cancer in your bones. And um, it was such a moment for me, and I, w I just, I was like, praise God. But I knew, I could, I could, in my mind, I was like, I know that something happened on that New Year's Eve service. I don't know whether God, um, whether God miraculously healed me on that day or whether it was he used medication over a period of time. It doesn't matter. What I know is that God touched my body, and this church was a part of that. And so if I haven't had the chance to say it in this way, Thank you for being a part of that journey. It was, it was hard, and it was, it was dark, and it was long, but you all prayed for me, and you were there with me, and you walked with me, and our whole family, and thank you for being a part of that with us. Yes, absolutely. You know, that, coming out of that, it was, um, you know, you, you come out with such victory that it's done. Now, it took a while to really get your feet under you and for us to get back to to normal, quote unquote normal, but um, you know, I, we found it, and it has just freed us so much and given us such unique perspective. And we have loved, loved, loved serving at Crossroads over these last nine years. And um, this morning, I just have a um, kind of a final word for you. And because Amanda and I have so many great memories, and we've been so honored to serve here for these last many years. Uh, I, I've joked that it feels like, it kind of feels like we're dying, you know, because everybody's coming by and they're seeing us and later you're going to do this drive-by thing and view the body, you know, and <laughs> you're, you're saying so many nice things about us and kind words and affirmations about how we're going to be missed, you know, it kind of feels like, I'm, where am I going? I'm dying. And so this morning, I just want to remind everybody that we're not that great, okay? And that's the title of my message this morning is we're really not that great, all right? Uh, I need to bring some balance to all these kind words as if, you know, as if we've never made mistakes before. We've made plenty of mistakes. Uh, I will be the first to admit that I have put my foot in my mouth on countless occasions. Ryan Oak sitting right here thinks he's got the record. No, friend, I got the record, okay? Foot in the mouth is right here. I have offended people, okay? I have offended families that ended up leaving the church because of the thing I did, the thing I said. I've been a poor leader at times, okay? Uh, I have struggled with good communication leadership skills. As a matter of fact, my poor communication has also caused conflict that resulted in families leaving the church. So there you go. And for all of you who were able to put up with me instead of leaving, uh, I've let you down too, okay? On uh, one of these mission trips we talked about, I uh, mentioned, I must not have read all the emails completely because when we arrived in another country, we were not prepared for what to expect. There was one trip in particular 
where we were expected to bring sleeping bags and bedding with us. Well, I didn't read that in the email. And so as a result, the whole team had no bedding for a week-long trip in Haiti where it's hot and humid and it was terrible, okay? On another, another missions trip, uh, we talked about this. We thought it was a good idea that these California students knew where their food came from, and so we volunteered to slaughter a pig and feed the village. And so, yeah, uh, it ended up well, but there for a minute, not a good choice, okay? Um, I ha- then there was the completely failed youth outreach. If you've been in Prater Crossroads for any length of time, you might remember we tried several years ago where we recruited many of you to come and volunteer, and uh, we've had blow-ups and games, and we had all this registration. We were prepared for 2,000 students to show up. You know how many showed up? Four. Four students, okay? And... Um, I wish I could say that those four students became a part of Crossroads, but I can't. And uh, it was one of the biggest failures of an outreach I have ever seen in all my years of church attendance, and I planned it, okay? We, we, we spent thousands of the church's dollars, and we had four students show up, okay? Um, I could go on, but the point is, I do not want to be remembered. We do not want to be remembered as the greatest youth pastors at Crossroads or anything like that. Amanda and I have always pursued the goal of building ministry alongside of you. We prefer to work together as a team. And I think that's important because we are all better together. I mean, could you imagine if our entire ministry was built on our personalities? Well, we would have been run out of town a long time ago. Um, But when we come together as the church, we cover each other's faults and each other's shortcomings. We share our strengths, and we fill in the gaps for each other. I want you to listen to what Paul writes of the church and how we function together in 1 Corinthians 12. 14 through 19, and uh, this is not on the screen. You can just chalk that up as another failure, okay? That's me. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, does that not make it any less part of the body? And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and I love this, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Listen to me. I realize that one of the roles God has put me in here at Crossroads has been one with a mic in my hand or hanging from my ear, okay? But that doesn't mean that the entire ministry of the church is built on whomever is holding a microphone. If we build the entire ministry on people with microphones, then we're doing what Paul is talking about in these verses. We're trying to make the entire body an eye or an ear. By making the church so one-dimensional, you're missing out on so much that God intended the church to be. Now, there are about 15 people in this room right now. Everybody else, you're watching online. And I have to ask you, why are you watching me right now? 
Why? Why are you watching me? Is it because I'm your, uh, I'm the best preacher you know? No, absolutely not. I'm not even my own favorite preacher, okay? No, you could be watching Stephen Futrick or Andy Stanley or, or Judah Smith or Chris Hodge. You could be watching any of those guys right now, and our view count's probably dropping. They're like, oh, really? Um, the same goes for worship. You could tune into Elevation Worship or put on Maverick City or wh whoever your favorite worship band is. Every single Sunday, you could listen to your favorite worship band singing your favorite song and call that worship. Why don't you do that? Well, I'll tell you why, and truthfully, you already know the answer. You know that church is not about whoever is holding the microphone. The mic holders are only one part of the church. They are only one part of this body of Christ that we call church. And if we boil down church just to the mic holders, we're trying to make the whole body an eye or an ear. Church is more than people who hold microphones. Church is about community, and it's about discipleship, and it's about service and evangelism. All of these are more about you than the people who hold microphones. This is the reason in our digital age that the local church still exists. It is relevant and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The church is not about consumption. It's not about consuming what the people holding microphones sing or say. The church is about participation in a community of people who introduce people to Jesus and help each other follow him. This is my final message to you, Crossroads. Number one, love his church. Jesus has built this specific church for you. He has used every single person who has ever held a microphone at Crossroads to build this church. And he has used countless people who have never held a Crossroads microphone to build this church. And it is a gift for you. It is a gift for this community. Love this church. Number two, commit to his church. This is about tuning in and showing up. If you're a committed Christ follower, then you need to commit to this church too. You need to commit to his church. I think this is the best church in this area. And so I would say, whenever the doors are open, be here. And until the doors can open again, tune in on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram. When you commit to his church, it's really a commitment to each other. And brings me to my third thing, embrace the mission of his church. When you commit to his church, you're committing to his people. You're saying that you are here for more than just what you can get. You're also here to give to each other. When you embrace the mission of the church, you take a selfless attitude to church. Ask not what your church can do for you, but ask what you can do for Jesus through his church. What does this look like? 
well, for goodness sakes, join a life group. And then beyond that, actually care about the people in the life group. You can't meet right now? Well, then call them. Zoom them. Marco Polo, Facebook Messenger. Send them a letter in the mail. Do something to make sure that they are cared for. Maintain your relationships. I think I can speak for Jesus when I say that he doesn't want anyone to fall through the cracks of COVID. We can still be the church even though we can't go to the building we call church. I've said this a couple times lately. That if, and it is a big if, but if there are people attempting to persecute the church right now. If there are, they are failing because they don't understand us. We can't sing, that's okay, because worship's more than singing. It's, it's more, it's about more than singing. We can't meet in person, that's okay, because we can meet digitally, and we can care for each other more personally. They cannot do anything to destroy the church, because we are the church. And the church has survived much darker times than these. Truthfully, if we approach all of this correctly, then the church will do much more than survive COVID. It will grow in spite of COVID and any regulation passed down. So again, my last words to you are this. Love, commit, and embrace his church. Will you bow your heads and pray with me online and in the room? If you're here today and we talk about his church and committing to his church, before you ever do that, there is a, a step, there's a prerequisite step, and that's committing to Jesus. And if you have not given your heart to Jesus, given your life to him, I want to give you that opportunity. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus laid his life down. He died on a cross so that you could be forgiven of every sin and mistake you've ever made. And three days later, to prove that he is exactly who he said he was and that he is right and true, he rose from the dead. And so if you'd like to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and him to wash your sins away and make you a new creation in Christ, just simply repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, I've made mistakes. Will you save me? Jesus, will you forgive me? Will you come into my heart? Will you be my Lord and Savior? And will you help me live for you all the days of my life? In Jesus' name.